Welcome to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure to have Ryan Dawson back on the show. Of course, Ryan is a uh, historian, researcher, um, done a lot of work on uh, some of the controversial issues of our day and also historical issues, uh, 9-11, the JFK assassination, the uh, Zionist lobby, its, and the, its influence uh, both in the United States and throughout the world. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, the Zionist lobby and its influence into dragging us into wars in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, you, you're the one, you, you do meticulous research. You name names, make these connections. Um, so you, your research is very important uh, in this, uh, in, in really clarifying this issue and putting it in terms that we can talk about it. Giving well, it's us, important to yeah. say something beside, other than some vague term like NWO or elite or deep state or, you know, yeah. get to the names, right? Yeah. And Why not? And tonight, uh, or, or actually, for you, it's night. To me, it's the morning because you're way over there on the other side of the world in, the, in Japan. Um, in the future. Yeah, in the future, yes. Can you give me <laughs> any stock tips? Um, uh, <laughs> the uh, assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, we just observed the 50th anniversary of that. And of course, uh, on June 5th, 1968, 42 year old presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy was mortally wounded shortly after midnight uh, at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Of course, he had just won the uh, presidential primary, uh, beating Eugene McCarthy. And, of course, he was on his way to Chicago. And his, I think his last words were, uh, public words at least, were, um, now let's uh, go on to Chicago and let's win there. Um, but he was shot dead, allegedly, by Sirhan Sirhan, a lone nut assassin, driven mad by Senator Kennedy's pro-Israeli policies. That's the official narrative. Of course, Sirhan Sirhan himself was convicted of that murder the following year, I think in April 1969. Uh, his sentence was commuted in, no, I guess, yeah, well, yeah, it was commuted in 1972 when the uh, death penalty was declared unconstitutional by the California Supreme Court. And he, he's uh, been denied parole 15 times. He's still in prison, languishing in prison uh, for that murder. Uh, first up, uh, Ryan, that assassination, I guess we'll briefly go over, what are, what's the problems with the official narrative of that assassination? I know I, I'm familiar with them, but it's for the benefit of our audience. What do you see as the biggest problems with the official narrative as Sirhan Sirhan being the, the lone nut assassin? There's a lot of problems with it. And Sirhan Sirhan was a Palestinian Christian. I think we should mention that. So that him being a Palestinian is why the uh, they gave the his his motivations were supposedly because of Robert Kennedy's support for Israel, which is ironic since he's the Kennedys supported Palestinian right of return, and it was Robert Kennedy himself that was pushing to inspect Amona for nuclear weapons, supported Algerian independence. I mean, the Israelis hated the Kennedys. But um, the problems with it, he was definitely there, and he definitely had a gun, so it seems like a, a closed case. Here's a guy hiding in the kitchen, where somehow he knew he was going to exit through the kitchen, uh, with a gun. He fired it. It was witnessed by you know everyone who was there, and John Pilger was there, in fact. And so it seems like, well, that that should be it. The thing is, uh, his gun only held eight bullets, and there were 13 shots. He hit five people, um, and then Kennedy was hit three times, and another, and actually his jacket had a hole through it as well. There's a bullet in the ceiling, but then there's a couple more bullets embedded in the door, and the, and this has all been gone through with the forensic evidence, with the police, etc., that there are at least 13 shots. There's acoustic evidence of that as well. But what they're saying there is, they can hear 13 shots, and then after that, all the screams and stuff from the crowd make it, you know, unintelligible, so you can't tell if there are any more after that. It may have been even more than that. And an eight-shot revolver, 22 caliber, cannot fire that many times. 
then you look at the uh, coroner evidence and the police examiner's evidence of Robert Kennedy himself, and he had powder burn marks on his head. And so he was shot, uh, the fatal shot, uh, under his right ear was from inches away. And you have witnesses who saw a man behind Kennedy with his gun drawn and firing it. So, I mean, that's that's pretty condemning evidence. And then you, when you start really looking into the case, you understand why there's a cover-up and who actually shot him. And that Sirhan Sirhan was not a lone gunman and may have been drugged out of his mind on top of that. So it's uh, you would say it's sort of a... Um torn out of the page of uh, kind of the MK Ultra patsy assassin set up to uh, go there and fire a gun off and have someone else to, you know, deliver the, uh, the coup de grace so to speak. Kind of like we saw I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, the movie The Parallax View No I haven't seen well, What's that? It's a 1974 classic uh, uh, with, uh, with um, well, what's his name? I forget the actor's name you know, he's, uh, uh, Anyway um, it, it's, it involves about a company called the Parallax Corporation, very close to Permanex, and it's uh, they hire uh, you know it's one of these secretive contracting agencies, you, you know, and they, they do personality profiles on vulnerable people. They hire them, and they go, show up to political events and just fire guns off, and then they have you know real assassins are taken away. So it's yeah, it's the Parallax View, nineteen seventy four. Um, a Warren, Warren Beatty movie. Warren, so that's yeah, Warren Beatty. So I highly recommend. What it reminds me of is a an event in history which was the assassination of the mayor of Chicago named Anton, Anton Cermak and that was in 1931 and the, the mob killed him but what they did is they had uh, one person shoot into the crowd and shooting at the mayor but the uh, his gun I think it was 35 caliber but the mayor was actually killed by a 45 caliber so a second shooter during all the chaos of this open shooting actually did the kill shot and walked away and this mayor of Chicago by the way Anton Cermak was his mission was to drive the mob out of Chicago so of course they had him killed but their tactic was one person sort of publicly firing and drawing all the attention and the one that's going to get arrested, but another person that makes sure the fatal shot goes through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now yeah, with, uh, yeah. with Kennedy, they all used twenty two caliber shells, but the ballistics didn't match when the bullets pulled out of the door and the ones pulled out of Kennedy's body. All, the only thing they had in common were being the same caliber. It just didn't match the. It could not have been fired from the same gun. That's right. In fact, the bullets weren't the bullets weren't matched to the gun. I think in court they never introduced the murder weapon. Right. The uh, this whole problems with the chain of custody with evidence and marking the bullets. Real sloppy. You know, conveniently sloppy investigation. And another thing that always that's always bothered me. You know, with his lawyer Grant Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Well, absolutely. I mean, Grant Cooper was a lawyer for the mafia as well. And, you know, Cooper's was also at the same time that Sirhan Sirhan's trial is going on. Cooper was representing co-defendants of Johnny Roselli, who had this um, card cheating gambling scam that they were doing. And four of them got convicted, by the way. This was the Friars case, right? Yeah. Yeah. From the Friars Casino. Glad you know that. And, uh, Actually, in 1969, Cooper got convicted himself. I mean, this is only a year later. Uh, he got convicted of accessory crime because he had 
somehow obtained unauthorized uh, possession of secret grand jury testimony <laughs> against his mafia clients. And he admitted, I mean, obviously he had gotten it, but then he never said, well, okay, well, how did you get that grand jury testimony? He never revealed his source. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he gets convicted for uh, illegally trying to defend these uh, mafia cohorts of Roselli. Roselli, by the way, was murdered right after the House uh, Senate uh, Selection Committee on uh, Assassinations had uh, had him testify, and he gets. Uh, I think he got cut up in drums in Florida, wasn't it? Yeah, was he shot in the mouth? Yeah, they found yeah, him yeah, floating in the Conte bay there. Yeah, and Giacondo was right. got shot in the mouth, right? Yeah. Right, Giacondo got shot in the mouth to say shut up. So, yeah, Roselli was uh, floating, and Roselli had said before. I mean, he had told people already about them bragging about killing the Kennedys before it happened. And that's actually the case for Robert Kennedy, too, when um, there's a character in Gotham. I don't know if you've seen the Gotham TV series. No, I haven't. Uh, anyway, they have some mafiosos in season one, and one of them's named Carmine Falcone. And he's in, like his rival gang is Maloney or whatever. But Carmine Falcone is Carmine Galante. And uh, Carmine Galante was in prison at the time of uh, Robert's assassination, but he was sort of the the prison mob boss. And Hoffa would visit him there down in Lewisburg all the time, and they were actually witnessed talking about a contract killing for Robert Kennedy, and that was in May of 1968. Hmm. And because something else interesting happened in in May's, Robert had always left his brother's death alone because he was so distraught and he told friends that yeah I just I mean he kind of suspected Hoffa or something but he never really he just accepted what the Warren Commission had to, whatever they had to say because he just too, he couldn't deal with it emotionally but uh, a year before he died <clears throat> he sent an aide down to talk to Garrison in Louisiana and then a week before he died in May of 1968 <clears throat> He spent two hours in uh, Oxnard, California, checking on a reported lead into his brother's death. And then within seven days, he was shot himself. So he was looking into his brother's assassination. And he had sent aides down to talk to Garrison, <clears throat> not knowing yet how tied up Garrison was with uh, the uh, Michello brothers. But he was starting to figure it out. Now, but oh, this Carmine yeah. Galante guy, he was an underboss for the Banano Syndicate in New York. Mm -hmm. If people don't know, there's there's the Giovesis or Genovesi, some people say, and the Gambino and Banano, uh, maybe Lucchese. There, there's at that time period, they were the mm, the five points of the of what becomes what some people call Costanostra. Yeah. but yeah, that's that's an FBI term, really, in a Hollywood thing. But <laughs> yeah, the, was it the RR thing or something? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, in my opinion, Lansky was the man, but um, not even Luciano. I mean, Luciano was the muscle in the face and all, but Lansky's the one that really got all the real estate deals and all this. But the the other man in the West Coast was John Alessio, no doubt. I mean, they because they had the uh, first U.S. National Bank of San Diego. And that's where they're, the major money laundering, like when Hoffa was getting the pension fund money to pay for Vegas uh, casinos and hotels and things, mm -hmm. they're getting these loans and money laundered through this bank. And John Alessio was made a director of it. 
and later on you'll see all these Nixon cronies and stuff. I mean, the bank got busted in 1973. People, you should look that up. It went under uh, because of all the corruption, and they were missing like $200 million. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of money even now. <clears throat> but that was the uh, like the mafia's crown jewel on the West Coast. This factored and, into Hoffa's early release? Yeah, actually, they procured the money for that. Mm-hmm. It was a two installments of $500,000 to get, because Nixon commuted half a sentence. He's supposed to be in the pen for 13 years. I think he served a little under five and got right out. And that was inexcusable, you know, but one of Nixon's worst pardons was Angelita DiCarlo, who personally killed at least 12 people. And he was a guy, uh, he was a hitman and a debt collector, you could say, uh, a debt collector that's a polite way of saying it tortured people I mean tortured people and gave people beatings shootings hangings killed them with arsenic all that he was the worst than the ice man and uh they just pardoned him like Nixon pardoned an actual serial killer and <laughs> you don't see the criticism for Nixon on that you'll get Watergate Vietnam blah blah but like pardoning a serial killer to definitely work for the New York mob syndicate not a big deal <laughs> yeah this is that um, that whole thing going beneath the surface with the uh, Kruger's book covers and the great cocaine coup I think it's called no uh, heroin coup I'm sorry mm-hmm. uh, when Nixon is trying to take over the drug war uh, and um, is it Doug Valentine or is it the um Hop, Daniel Hopsicker, I think he traces a lot of the payments to the Watergate burgos from um, heroin money. Um, yeah. And so this is the scene, you know, the whole entry going on, you know, several layers beneath the surface that might give us a full explanation for things like Watergate and, you know. Well, that things. was Banano, too, yeah. because Banano was, they were the ones shipping, getting all this heroin in in, in Canada and then uh, sliding it down to New York, etc. And they had operatives busted in that. They were constantly moving the heroin from Canada down to the New York, New Jersey syndicates. Because the bananas, like Joe, he gets exiled. And uh, Carmine was his underboss. He ends up becoming the boss when he gets out of jail. But because what was special about Carmine was he had the zips, which I don't say that word, but it's kind of a derogatory term for uh, Sicilians and Italians that are fresh mm-hmm. off the boat. But he would use these zips as, you know, just expendable hitmen and things. Yeah. And just tying it back to Gotham for people who like pop culture. Carmine Falcone, the fictional character, has a uh, a hitman named Zaz, which is like his zip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, but controlling the zips was important because even from jail, he was like the kingpin. Even from jail, he had a lot of sway and knew a lot of these contract killers, and so. Hoffa, who's a Chicago guy, you know, is still willing to work with Carmine. This is how badly they all had interest in getting rid of RFK, especially when he started investigating his brother's death. But more so, too, they did not want him to become president because he had been prosecuting them. Yeah. That's why Hoffa was in jail. Well, mm-hmm. would, you know, would be later. Yeah, we have this famous videotape of him needling Hoffa, you know. Saying exactly why you why you giggling? <laughs> he, he, he asked uh, Sam Giacana. I thought only girls giggle. <laughs> it's, it's it makes for it's a, it's a good yeah. In, I mean, he he deported Carlos Marcello to Guatemala. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And he, he and he was the one who was exporting the uh, the the uh, Carcano rifles to Argentina, right? The special. 
Well, him and Joe, his brother, was doing. I think Joe Marcella. I think Carlos gets credit for everything him and his brothers did. He just gets it all, right? Yeah. But you find that often in mafia research. So there's sort of some unknown dude or some limo driver, and then a decade later you find out actually he was the guy, and he was more than willing to dump all the credit onto someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, the, they're the successful mobsters, the high-profile ones. Exactly. <laughs> like that when was, you know, um, Johnny Gambino, like he's a – he was nothing compared to some of the guys that were quiet that were they're finding out now, you know. Yeah, they live in he small was, houses and. <laughs> was yeah. that the gas uh, gambit they had in Jersey all through the eighties? I mean, anyway, that's not RFK stuff, but yeah. um, it, it relates to how the mob works because you'll get these sort of iconic figures, Al Capone for running the alcohol and things like that, that are you'll see them in like Bugs Bunny cartoons and mm-hmm. things like that. But I think Carmine was in the Doonesbury cartoons. They called him the cigar because he he basically always had a cigar. He was like a Batman villain for real, just like <laughs> a, a, a cigar everywhere I go. And they all knew that he ran the Zips and he was the underboss for the Banana family that was running in heroin. And they needed that black market heroin to pay for all kinds of stuff. But, you know, Banana and them had kind of been pushed out by Giovesi and the outfit in Chicago who were really running the pension funds from the Teamsters and these real estate deals under Lansky and uh, the casinos in Vegas, the big league deals. And so the Bananas were focusing on narcotics and the Southerners were doing the same thing, Traficante and Marcelo and the rest of them, because that became a booming market from the South. And actually prior to Marcelo running Louisiana, it was... Uh, with under Sammy uh, Corona was Sammy Corolla. Corolla. He uh, he had worked with um, OK Allen was the governor at the time. I'm the, the guy's name I'm missing, but anyway, they, he was working with uh, <clears throat> known mafia and political types getting uh, heroin and cocaine from Honduras, and they that worked through the State Department. So the State Department and the mafia were actually bringing in heroin together into New Orleans. And this is all before Barry Seal and Iran Contra and all mm-hmm. that. I'm talking, they were doing this in the 30s, like before the CIA even existed. So that baton just gets passed from one generation to the next, you know? Yeah, that's, Bobby, I mean, he yeah. comes along and just shats on all of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that, you, you even get that into the 30s with uh, Claire Chenault and the Flying Tigers and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Burma, that area, you know. The Japanese, and you know, the, even the Japanese were trading heroin or, or opium at the time. You know, uh, with the Chinese, and you know, these things transcend that nation states and things like that. And it's real, it really is you know, globalism. Uh, but originally, yeah, going, the French go- connection was heroin with Lucky Luciano too. Oh yeah, prior yeah. to that, yeah. getting it from KTM, right? Getting where they were supplying them with. You know, as long as you had some sort of anti-communist faction as your supplier, mm-hmm. they. The F, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, and all they would look the other way. Yeah, yeah. It, and the, and people like Pepe Escobar realized that a long not Pepe Pablo Escobar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pepe yeah. Escobar is not dealing heroin. So He's a Pablo Escobar yeah. knew that a long time ago. <laughs> um, but originally going back to because we mentioned Grant Cooper, the lawyer, is is that um, he had an indictment hanging over his head during the trial, and he got off kind of. He only paid a fine or something. And so even that is grounds for a mistrial because your lawyer is facing federal indictment on criminal charges. Well, it's funny. Like he did get he did get uh, convicted in '69. Yeah, months after or really short time period before the trial concludes. But 
so a lot of it fell on the uh, co-counsel, and that was Russell Parsons. Mm-hmm. And th- this is a guy who he represented a lot of mafia clients and even wrote uh, a personal glowing letter for Mickey Cohen, <laughs> which actually r- later on when he tried to run for mayor of Los Angeles, this came to light and ruined his chances. But And Mickey Cohen actually ran a gambling operation out of the Ambassador Hotel where Robert was shot. Yes, yeah, that's right. But the the best part of this story is that uh, Parson had once been investigated by the chief counsel of the Senate Racket Committee, which was Robert Kennedy. Oh. <laughs> Robert Kennedy was investigating Sirhan Sirhan's lawyer. <laughs> Small world, right? Or his mafia ties. Mm-hmm. Small world. And his other lawyer got convicted of mafia ties with Roselli. So isn't that something? So uh, now, so we have that that information. So uh, the, the- I want to go get into Sirhan's employment too because it there. This is all one big happy family. He um, there's a man named Frank Donaramas, but uh, no one probably heard that knows who that is. But his his sort of like street name was Henry. Uh, Ramistella, and he was a a Jersey mobster, kind of a New York, New Jersey mobster. And he he befriended Sirhan because Sirhan used to work. He used to go to the uh, Santa Ana racetrack all the time, and then he worked at the Del Mar racetrack, which is a hotbed of you know who's who mobster gambling, including Hoover and the rest of them that would go there and watch the horses and then go. Yeah, that's I'm saying. Guy, that's the one where Hoover used to go and win all the time, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. While denying the existence, the existence of organized crime. <laughs> well, you know, it with he'd have uh, Tolson right there with him, right? You know, Clyde Tolson would be anywhere Hoover went. That's a romantic uh, Tol- getaway. Tol- anywhere Hoover went, Tolson was right behind him. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I think Lancey, Lansky had that on film. No. <laughs> I've seen that, actually. Not film. I saw the pictures. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know where they were? Where we? Well, that's a. I'm not going to get into that. Um, it was in Florida at a particular hotel owned by a particular family. We'll just say that. <clears throat> but this guy Frank hired Sirhan, and Sirhan was working at the uh, Corona Breeding Farm in 1966. Right, so just a couple years before he allegedly kills Robert Kennedy all by himself with his eight-shot revolver that shot 13 times in front of him and somehow hit him three times in the back. Um, he was working for this uh, Frank Donoramas and who is a d- total mobster, right? And so it's like he's working at a horse breeding farm for the mob. He visits these racetracks where he's also in debt to the mob. <clears throat> and then his lawyers are all mobsters. Like, not just minor, like, oh, he represented so-and-so. We're talking about Johnny Roselli, Mickey Cohen, big names, you know. <clears throat> but that's all a coincidence, I'm sure. But what Carmine witnessed in jail, what, what Carmine and Hoffa were discussing, was a contract killing to kill RFK. I mean, that was witnessed before he was a week before he was killed. And exactly at the same time that he's meeting with investigators looking in leads into his brother's death. Yes, it's uh, definitely of interest. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, 
you have this, these, these mob connections, and yet, nevertheless, uh, the media is playing it up as just just a, uh, another crazy Arab Christian um, who's driven to murder, you know, to murder uh, by what's going on. In, yeah, in Palestine. It wasn't even political. He was. He, he's like, I don't eat Arab food and that junk. And he wasn't. He didn't care. And it, and Robert's policies weren't so pro-Israel. Nixon certainly were. I mean, he, he gave us Operation Nickelgrass. <laughs> they, I think they sent about twenty-two thousand three hundred and twenty-five tons of weapons, tanks, et cetera, to Israel for Yom Kippur. But um, it, you know, the guy that actually shot RFK is named Thane Eugene Caesar, and he was a cop working for Ace Security all of a day i mean he'd worked for him many many months ago but he was a temporary employee this was a lockheed uh, subsidiary no it's for the u.s national bank of san diego subsidiary oh no i'm sorry i thought he was a lockheed contractor but i might be mistaken i haven't seen anything with thane and lockheed he may have done that after the shooting but okay uh at this time it was this bank that john alessio was a director for and uh, really if you want to look into that bank, it's top to bottom. It, it, it's a who's who of the worst people you've ever heard of in the mob at the time period. <clears throat> Hoffa was working with them, but Alessio, very famous California mobster. And all these guys come out from the East Coast and stuff, but they had created this thing, Ace Security, and Ace Security was who was in charge of guarding Robert. And Thane is a last minute replacement he gets there he's witnessed firing his gun screwed up and even admitted that on a, a couple radio shows and you could say oh well, maybe he was shooting back at Sirhan Sirhan like maybe right and then maybe he accidentally shot Robert Kennedy but they asked him like well could your gun have gone off on accident because no because the hammer wasn't cocked I would have had to pull the trigger I would have had to have done it on purpose <laughs> he wants the credit, but uh, given the burn marks on Robert and the fact, and Thane admitted I was holding his right arm. And if you look at the death photos of Robert Kennedy, you'll notice something in his hand. There's a necktie, and it's Thane's clip-on necktie that Robert pulled off of him as he was dying. Now, when Robert's last words are saying, "Is everybody okay?" and on to Chicago, like he just got shot in the brain, so he doesn't. Whatever, it doesn't matter what he says. You yeah. know? But he's holding that tie in his hand. But that cop was right behind him, has a gun, was seen shooting the gun. There's burn marks on Robert's head. And the witnesses said he shot it Western style from the hip. Like he just kind of pulled it out of the holster, kind of turned it, went dun, 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 like that, right? He's not going to extend his arm out and shoot him in the head. He's trying to sort, just as the Sirhan's firing wildly and being tackled to the floor. He pulls out his gun and just goes like that, bang, bang, bang. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, and Robert gets hit all on the right side three times. And the death shot, of course, is you know, behind his right ear. Uh, almost just like John on the right side above his eye, right? So <clears throat> there's burn marks on there. And then they ask him he, what gun he had. And he lied and talked about this 35 caliber gun. But he also had a 22 caliber gun, which they asked about. He said, oh, no, I sold that one three months ago. But then they got the bill of sale, and he actually sold it in September of that year, three months after shooting Robert, not three months before. So then they went to the person who 
they had sold the gun to who still had the receipt and everything. And they said, well, where's the gun? And he said, somebody stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. it was a twenty two caliber and it would have matched the ballistics. And I mean, I don't know. Some people, they just want to make a mystery where there isn't one, you know? My brother deals with this with the Lost Colony. or It's kind of like people who just want to believe in Bigfoot. It doesn't matter how much you debunk it. There will always be something. And these Kennedy, both Kennedy murders have been solved. Like, it's really clear that Thane Eugene Caesar shot Robert Kennedy. He's so, behind him with the gun. He's witnessed shooting it, and there's burn marks on his head. The guy works for a security, uh, which is run by the mob. And then he's living in the Philippines right now. He's like 89 years old. And you look at the rest of his life and all the lawyers and all the everything around the entire event is mafia related who Robert Kennedy was prosecuting. And that just gets completely ignored. Did, did, his, like, um, did he? Uh, um, well, one thing is, is the, the police never, I mean, after the shooting, of course, you'd think they'd get everyone who has a gun and kind of check them and look for things if, if there's a drop gun or an extra gun there or uh, that was never done with he with, with caesar right he was never questioned they asked i mean they questioned him the cops didn't but i mean uh, like journalists and things questioned yeah, but, yeah, i mean you think the cop the lapd who's they're solving you know you know supposedly investigating this murder and they have the hail of bullets and just because again just because there's a person in front of you with a gun saying Kennedy, you son of a bitch, and firing doesn't necessarily mean that's the one who shoots him. Aren't they a little more sophisticated than that, or just it's just a, an investigation that's uh, intentionally, you know, uh, you know, uh, derailed? Well, the uh, police examiner did say that, as as well as the coroner, I forget his name. I think it was Noguchi. Baxter or something. Yeah, I mean, you got it. They they all agreed like how he was killed in the manner and the LAPD that they did go in and and got bullets out of the door and took photographs of it and that's really all ex that exists because the files got destroyed. But there is photographic evidence of the police examining the bullets that were in the side of the door and one in the center of the mm -hmm. um, in the kitchen pantry thing, and so you can see all these extra bullets. And if you ask the police, they go, absolutely, there's no question. We knew that was a, those were bullet holes and bullets, and th they don't disagree. But then you got to say, well, why didn't you grab this security guard and check out his gun? Well, because he Thane just lied. He just said, oh, I sold it. <laughs> I sold that gun, and all I had was this 35. So he just gives them a different gun, right? But that's not the gun he had that day. He had the other gun that he ended up selling in September. And I believe they actually, the the one that was claimed to have been stolen, someone finally came forward and they'd thrown it in the middle of a lake in Arkansas or something. They actually got the gun in like 2015 or 16, really? something like that. Wow. Yeah, they pulled it out because they said, I threw it in this lake and they looked where they he said he had put it and it was there. But it's useless now yeah. unless they have some technology eventually that can somehow... You know who knows? The, you know we. You look at some of the stuff they do in archaeology, and it's pretty amazing, like what you can uncover with yeah. uh, with enough tech. But I don't think you need to really match the ballistics to the gun when you have, you know, all this other evidence yeah. showing. His people saw him do it. I mean, <laughs> now did, did, did Caesar? Did he? Did his life change after the assassination? Did he all of a sudden uh, come up with you know un unexplained uh, income and wealth and? Has anybody been in yes. this? Yes. He did? Yeah. 
I mean, it's not even like exactly. He'd be like, "Hey, man, lay low." Nah, he he scurries off to the Philippines and living large, you know. So that's interesting because I think the investigation itself wasn't handled by special unit senator and um, one of the guys who I think is on tape harassing witnesses like Sanders Serrano or something. And then he ends up getting his, uh, a security company, gets these huge fat contracts, and he becomes a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole thing, like the whole California political scene was, uh, like especially in Los Angeles with Hollywood, it's mafia top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And the people that were, the, the legit people that were investigating Robert's death all had things happen to them. This is a lot like uh, John Kennedy's death. You mm-hmm. have a lot of witnesses, and like, not well, Roselli himself was murdered, but I'm talking about people that were pushing for a legit investigation into Robert Kennedy, were having their uh, cars shot at, having guns pulled on them. Yeah, Dorothy uh, Kilgallen committing suicide. Yeah, yeah. yeah weird kind of suicide. Uh, what was the investigator whose wife was murdered? Oh, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name. Like, it's been so long like <laughs> since I looked at RFK because, to me, it's overkill. But there was – I can't remember the guy's name. His wife was murdered now. It'll come to me. But, you know, when your family's getting threatened or your car is being shot at, that, that'll make you shut up, you know. And that was happening to people who were just trying to figure it out. Now, Sirhan Sirhan doesn't wield that kind of power. I mean, he was in jail, right? And Lee, so, Lee Harvey Oswald was dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, the Kennedy thing, right? <laughs> you want to go to that? So, you know, the, Oswald didn't, or, <laughs> well, Oswald either, but yeah. um, that wasn't Sirhan Sirhan harassing witnesses and things like that. No way. But those are the kind of things that happen. It's like William Harper, for example, was uh, had his car shot at, uh, the, and that was the day before he was uh, going to testify about the case. And he had two men follow him and shoot up his car. And, I mean, that happened. I mean, that is part of the record. William Harper's car was shot at the day before he was testifying. And... Uh, Godfrey Isaac, that's what it was. Godfrey Isaac, his wife was killed. Uh, He was the uh, the DA, and then um, one of the main journalists, Theodore Chirac, he was uh, he had all kinds of harassment. People pulled a gun on him. His um, assistant uh, Betty Dreyer, she got uh, killed with a knife, I think, or stabbed a bunch of times. So. They start saying, hmm, maybe I ought to back off from this. I mean, and this was just a journalist that was looking into it. His assistant gets knifed. They pull a gun on him. Uh, yeah, the DA's wife dies under mysterious circumstances. There's suicidings. And then Harper's car gets shot up. Who do you think is doing that? A Palestinian gang? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yeah, yeah. none of this stuff is... Uh... I mean, this is the RFK uh, assassination, and this is very similar to what was going on uh, with the JFK, the, with the in the uh, aftermath of the JFK uh, assassination. Was these well, one thing that the murder of witnesses and these things, starting with one Lee Oliver Oswald two days later, you know. Uh, but that gets us perhaps gets us into what we're really by, J- by, by uh, 
Rubenstein. Rubenstein, a, a Brothman, uh, you know, uh, lieutenant. Yeah, and they're and they they go, oh, they didn't know each other, and there were absolutely no mob connections to Jack Ruby. Wow, <laughs> like no <laughs> one can say that, but that's what the Warren Commission comes up with. And I think it was one of Henry Crown's lawyers that was tasked with figuring that out. And of course, he, that's the answer he came up with. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, even yeah, Oswald has ties back to the New Orleans scene, you know. Uh, but he's a, again, oh, a, yeah. a, 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 he is a complex figure in himself. Um, so, uh, what, well, Caesar himself had been in trouble before he gets get to become a cop for a security. He had gotten in a lot of trouble down in Tijuana and. The fixer for it that got that cleaned him up was John Alessio himself. So he owed him. He owed, he owed Alessio big time so already. You, you had a mob connected security guard standing behind Robert F. Kennedy, where the shot, where the, where the mortal wound uh, occurred, where the shot occurred. That's, you got it from behind, behind the right ear, mm-hmm. and with the very mob that has, uh, of course, has it out for, for Robert Kennedy, and apparently has. Had negotiated or had 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 a contract put out on him, and he had been okay. This guy had gotten out of trouble because John Alessio uh, got him out, and it's uh, the the bank that Alessio is the director of is the one that creates and hires a security that thing is working for, and he gets hired that day, like on June fourth, right? So that night, the same day, really, because. He really was killed on the fourth. It was just a little bit after midnight, so yeah. we say fifth. But you know, he goes in there. So the cop that shot him is working for a security company that run by a bank by John Alessio, and the same mobster also got thing out of trouble earlier when he got uh, arrested in Tijuana several times, by the way. So that that's not a coincidence. <laughs> and he he uh, Caesar is he is he. Uh, uh... What ethnicity is he? Is he Mexican? Is he Cuban? Or I don't know. Um, Payne Eugene Caesar. I, he just out of his pictures, he just looks Italian. But maybe with the name Caesar, he could be Italian, or he could be. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he, then, he, then he moves to the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. A security guard. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. And like a part-time security guard too. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And they uh, had other like they're. Uh, the mobsters that had hired Sirhan for the farm and things, Frank, mm-hmm. they couldn't find these guys for like 10, 11 months to testify. They couldn't find them. They couldn't find anybody that was associated with Sirhan Sirhan. They all got out of town. They found them eventually, but it took a long time. Now, uh, okay, so we, we have all that. And, of course, it, the evidence all indicates that it was a wider, you know, it was a conspiracy, a much wider conspiracy involving Shall we say the usual suspects? I guess in, in how we look at these things. Plus um, the guys that Kennedy was prosecuting. Yeah, you know they had the motive. Um, but the killing of, of Robert Kennedy in 1968 obviously traces back to the murder of his brother. You know, four and a half years earlier in November mm-hmm. 1963 in Dallas, and you know the suspects involved in that are. You know, the mafia, CIA, uh, the military-industrial complex—all these sort of uh, vague names and associations and organizations. Well, that, there's a lot of overlap between yeah, all those organizations. Yeah. 
Because um, the CIA was hiring mafia so, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, they're, they're contracting with them. And, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously we, we have that example. Yeah, it gets it gets real murky and convoluted because this involves Cuba, Mongoose, which actually involves Robert Kennedy and these things. And the whole the Cold War intrigues and sort of this uh, very murky involvement. Or You know, no one really has their hands clean in, in this thing. It's geopolitics. So everyone well, is- the mafia, I mean, they found a very easy alliance between the mob and and uh, the CIA and those kind of guys because when Castro came to power and Batista was out, the mob lost about a billion dollars a year mm-hmm. from all the casinos that were shut down in Cuba. And the replacement was Las Vegas, mm-hmm. right? And But it, you got to legalize gambling but only in one little place so you can monopolize at the same time. So all that casino revenue – which is very important because that's how you launder money for a lot of other illegal businesses mm-hmm. from the prostitution, narcotics, and skimming from the unions and all that. You'd be like, oh, gambling, that's how I got it or whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> Banks and casinos. <laughs> they, they wanted Castro out just as bad as the CIA because they lost a lot of revenue. But there were certain guys like Traficante acting as triple agents. You know, because that's the great thing about <laughs> career criminals is they'll stab each other in the back too. But mm-hmm. um, so that's why you'll see contracts by the CIA contacting people like Sam Giacana and trying to get them to assassinate Fidel. And uh, this allowed them at the same time to be protected. And of course, the FBI was no problem. I mean, Hoover denied organized crime even existed. Because Costello and Lansky had the dirt on him and his G-men, so you and he—I think he's on tape saying that the mafia conspiracy. You know, just poo-pooing the whole thing. There's no such thing as conspiracy. What mafia? Well, Robert Kennedy comes along and starts prosecuting them, and they find out the world finds out the mafia is absolutely real. And uh, I mean, now everyone see it, it. Kind of people know the mob is real, but they believe. Their version of what the mafia is is sort of this Hollywood or Sopranos thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a street gang or something. They don't understand the true depth and power of organized crime. Yeah, but they, and how a, it ties a, the government. It's a street crew, <laughs> and it's it's and this you've watched shows like The Sopranos. Um, uh, it's always you know you have the criminal world, and then there's the government going after them. And they do, yeah. they do, <laughs> they do suggest some collusion, which, but that's more at a lower level. It's more, you know, like oh, there's just one crooked cop they bribe yeah. or something like that, right? As, yeah. opposed, as opposed to being institutionalized in, in terms of, it went like, all the way up to Nixon. Like I said, he's <laughs> yeah. pardoning serial killers. He commuted Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, Nixon was the syndicate president. That was his nickname off the books or whatever. He was the syndicate president. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, Mickey Cohen donated. Uh, tens of thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars to nixon uh if you combine his you know attempt at becoming governor and two attempts to become president and so did alessio so did uh all the prominent mobsters are cashing in on nixon yeah and then because then there's always the 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 the, the meta mobsters like the um the harrimans and the rockefellers and the rothschilds and the brothmans uh who have become sort of Finance, financiers and elite and so it, it, it's they all work together and they're all kind of organize these things that the importance of banking and finance and even the, um, 
and the importance of narcotics trafficking and supporting the global economy and liquidity the, of, of the banks and creating the whole like underworld or black budget economy that really that's how it is now who do you think's moving the heroin from afghanistan into our streets yeah. i mean it's not, it's not like the cia pays cia agents to distribute heroin like they always have uh plausible deniability and that stuff's coming right into newark airport right now right yeah and uh it's run by the mob and i want to go to new york in the future so i ain't saying any names <laughs> but uh <laughs> they, they are doing it yeah and, 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 it, it, and, and, today. It, and it is sanctioned and that's all the whole part of the drug war is to maintain a cartel and there are some groups that are, that, that gain the favor for a while and i mean we and, gave and, guns to mexican cartels we armed them in recent times not just fast and furious either i mean a, that was a mistake oh yeah yeah we <laughs> we had no means of tracing the guns once they crossed the border either so the Zetas, how is it you're going to get the the guns to trace then you can't taste <laughs> yeah you know and, yeah i mean yeah it's and it's all part you know it, Again, this is the guns are sent in there to destabilize, to stir things up a little bit, to keep, you know, to keep the companies, these countries poor and exploitable, and that's that's sort of the business model. It's neoliberal business model. And we've mm -hmm. talked about like what's going on in Africa before and these things and the the fomenting of these civil I wars. I finished the film on that, by the way. That I I just said what's keeping Africa down. Not mm -hmm. a very clever title, but it gets into all that. The the whole. Um, humanitarian farce right mm -hmm. where they go in and purposely destroy agriculture and ruin agency to create dependency states mm -hmm. and it's very similar to the old banana republic model that they did on central america and the caribbean but mm -hmm. uh there's just slightly a few more layers added to it because now that we've got these global banking institutions that can engage in predatory lending and just use that as a method of seizing assets right yeah, because yeah, so, like, yeah, that happens in Africa all day, every day. Not all of Africa, but a lot of places in Africa are dealing with that. And all, my all-time favorite like that, level yeah. of corruption is Nigeria, though, and people can look this up right now. The snake ate it. I mean, I think it was last March or February. It was something like hundred thousand dollars went missing, and the clerk's excuse was a snake came in and ate the bags of money. <laughs> and then the next month it was monkeys so you can google that monkeys and snakes steal money nigeria just put that in it's, this is real and I, I was reporting these stories in my africa film and somebody watched that and I, w I wanted to get the most recent stuff so i finished that film in march so those events that happened in february march but i guarantee you, if you look into it there's that stuff is every month there's stuff ridiculous things like that but i near the end of the film i talked about the snake ate it the monkey stole it the just going over the level of domestic corruption in africa because you can't blame everything on the outside a lot of it's just yeah bad african politics right but <laughs> after seeing the snake and monkey stole the money somebody left the i love the internet sometimes they left the most brilliant comment they said oh i didn't know donald rumsfeld went to work in nigeria <laughs> <laughs> It's missing. I guess the snake ate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that corruption and like foreign aid and these things, NGOs. It, it actually just relates to the the, the RFK assassination because the involvement of um, at least the alleged involvement of the Savak and this character Kyber Khan and 
apparently he was involved in foreign aid going to this time going to Iran during the era of the Shah in the late 60s and yeah well our, the Israeli secret police are the ones training the Sabah yeah the Sabah yeah they're the ones that yeah, pretty much foment the revolution 10 years later um uh but um because of the Savaks, you know, they're the ones stirring up trouble and really alienating their Iranian population. This, and of course, the, at the time, they're being controlled by MI6, CIA, and Mossad. But um, the foreign aid, a lot of it is being filtered back into like the Chase Manhattan Bank and David Rockefeller's pocket, and, and it just it all is it's just it's just a big scam. Uh, it, you know, well, it also it undermines industry. Like sometimes aid isn't money. Sometimes like there's the um food programs and UN will give you calorie bars and things like that, right? And it's very hard to oppose that because you sound like a cold-hearted libertarian or something. Yeah. (laughs) But I tell, so I explain it like this, like let's say you're selling shoes or trying to and I just set up next to you and give away shoes. What happens to your business? Yeah. You go out of business, right? Well, what happens if people are giving away food and you're trying to actually grow crops and sell them and here I come free bags of rice or whatever, mm-hmm. you're not going to stay in the agricultural industry because you can't make a profit. So they have a shortage of farmers, which causes a shortage of food, which makes them more dependent on aid. And it's a vicious cycle, right? They have to have the aid because they don't have enough farmers. But because of the aid is why they don't have farmers, because they can't make profits. Yeah, and the yeah. the corn or the rice that's being imported is heavily subsidized by the uh, by by the government. Uh, so other yeah, by, people, other by, people are uh, paying for it, right? Multiple governments in this case, yeah. Yeah, so it's not, or it'll this, be some commodity company like Glencore or something, which is then because they do that kind of quote unquote altruistic act, then they get subsidies too. Yeah. So that it's a it's an excuse to subsidize extremely wealthy corporations already, who give these token, you know, bits of aid to Haiti or to uh, Mali or Kenya or whatever, <clears throat> but actually you're just removing agency and creating dependency states. Yeah, this is what NAFTA did to Mexico. They call it free trade, and it really isn't free trade. Yeah. And really, in the final analysis, you can't have free trade when you have malevolent corporations that are heavily subsidized, that are controlled by psychopaths. That, um, they're is- subsidized, and they have volume discount purchasing. Mm-hmm. So it's like the Walmartization of Mexico. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And again, they, they have all types of forms of subsidies and benefits, and, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, and also just... It, it, and you it, know what happens there with Mexico, for example, there's a chapter about this in my... I just finished the second edition of uh, Separation of Business and State. Mm-hmm. So this was in the first one as well, but if you're going to undermine an industry like agriculture and you have an agrarian society or at mm-hmm. least large sections of Mexico are like that and here comes Walmart and McDonald's or whatever who have they're super it's like okay you can have super cheap goods because they're subsidized by the United States Walmart's not subsidized but all the places they're buying their food from are mm-hmm. and then they get the volume discount so they get in and you're not allowed to tariff it because supposedly free trade so they come in and flood the market and put the other people out of business, including the uh, farmers. Saying, so, "Where do they go? The fruit pickers, quote unquote." Well, they across the border into the United States, which makes exploited labor and undermines wages and so on and so on. So it's just bad all around. But well, the obvious right? solution is to build a big wall. <laughs> yeah, the solution is to cut the subsidies oh, or allow yeah, yeah. protective tariffs. The one problem or the other. is 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 identifying the point of intervention and coercion. 
it's hard to unravel these things, at least in the standpoint of like retail politics and public discourse. People don't want to get into the details of these things. How these society well, any trade agreement that's written up in secret, just say no. Yeah, or, or, or it's 500 pages, you know, 2,000 pages, you know. Yeah, and it's all written in legalese and all that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you know, and also just in an error, uh, just broadly speaking, macroeconomically speaking, is this uh, uh, with currency manipulation, and the whole world is based on currency manipulation. That's what the petrodollar is all about. And the idea is when you have currencies overvalued and the currencies can be devalued, it's hard to maintain balance of trade because these things are manipulated politically. Right, oligarchs. Well, there like, is currency manipulation, but the petrodollar thing to me is a distraction from Israel, because the U.S. will complain all the time about how China is buying too many dollars, yeah, manipulating the currency, and yet they're trying to sell more dollars by increasing demand by forcing people to buy oil on it. One, they're not forced to. Like Japan and India got off the petrodollar a long time ago, and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It's for convenience. Nobody wants to convert things, you know, to, through twelve different currencies a day if you get korean dollars you know because i buy your oil with korean dollars mm-hmm. where are you supposed to spend those other than korea yeah right maybe but a dollar you can spend where i i get a little triggered on that topic because no one there's a sort of huge leftist wave that blames the iraq war on oil or petrodollars which is related to oil and no, we went to war for Israel. The Office of Special Plans specifically lied, and they were all Israeli partisans. And Israel got 77% of its oil export or imports from the Kurdish-controlled region in Iraq. The U.S. didn't get jack. Our oil imports from Iraq after the war and before the war are exactly the same. And Saddam was not going to switch to the euro and even because we already invaded in 91, and the euro didn't even exist. Neither did the EU. That when we already had the oil for food program, so we already owned the oil. So we didn't go to Iraq for oil. We went there for Israel. And you can trace back the lies about anthrax, the lies about uh, you know mobile weapons labs, which was supposedly making the anthrax, uh, chemical weapons under the palaces, aluminum tubes, yada yada yada, and the Jir forgeries, etc. And they all go back to Israeli partisans who'd written this out in strategy planning papers about Iraq and Libya and Syria. And we have just done that verbat like we went in Iraq, destabilized it, got control of the oil which went to Israel. They killed Gaddafi, sodomized him with a knife and put Al Qaeda in charge. And they tried to do it in Syria and they've lost because <laughs> Russia intervened and well a lot of things happened, but Syria right now, I, I'm gonna tell people after the fourteenth of June there will be an attack on Dara, and that whole southern pocket of Al-Qaeda and ISIS is going to get wiped out. And there will just be that little pocket up in Idlib. That war is pretty much over, and Assad is there to stay. So, But they certainly tried, and they turned that place upside down for since 2011. I mean, seven years of fighting. But With A lot of refugees, a lot of people dead, and a lot of old architecture oh, they destroyed. Wrecked, they wrecked Europe with it because even yeah. though most of these refugees aren't Syrian, maybe half, you know, a million and a half or something, but it kind of get it, it served as cover for refugees from everywhere else because you're bleeding heart people like oh the poor Syrian refugees and I agree like for people from Syria but they're from Tunisia they're from mm-hmm. Pakistan they're from all over the world flooding into Europe and sucking off the tit of uh, government. Yeah, why are but there, I say yeah. hey. If you don't want ants, don't pour sugar on the floor. You cannot, as, as I think Rothbard or 
uh, Friedman or one of them said something like, uh, you can't have open borders and social programs at the same time. Yeah, another form of intervention then. That's another of these things where, yeah, the welfare state will, you know, one of the things that made America able to absorb so many immigrants quite successfully, I'd say, in the early part of the 20th century was the absence, you know, of a, of a welfare state. Yes, you are free to come over here and work. Yeah. And not just live off the tit of government. Yeah, and just the whole country was so much less decentralized at the time. It was ethnic-based, and at least particularly in the North, and these things could mm -hmm. function. There was sort of a, a proper balance there. And the United States itself, you know, really only works successfully as a decentralized country as it, because, as it has become more centralized in the 20th century. It's become a more destructive force throughout the world. Um, and there's, I think there's a connection there. But back to Robert F. Kennedy, because you mentioned the... Uh, I blame Lincoln for all that. That's <laughs> yes, when it started. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, the corporate. He's the original neocon, and that's where the railroad companies were the first kind of. Yeah. I mean, they were like replacing the East India Tea Company as far as its power and influence, right? And uh, that's where you just. We switched from a market economy to mercantilism mm -hmm. with the railroads. And there's a great series, I think it was on AMC. Is that what it's called? It was called Hell on Wheels. And. <laughs> Thomas Durant, who worked for the uh, Union Pacific Railroad, there's this Irish actor, his name, but he's, he does a brilliant job of it. They're, they're talking about there's a scene in there, and he's saying, You're, I, I'm getting $1,600 per mile for this railroad, and why are you making it straight? I don't want it going like this. I want it going like this. Yeah. Because yeah. like, it's government subsidized. <laughs> yeah, they'd build over like on frozen land and of course it'd fall out and they'd have to rebuild it again. And of course the center He's got another line and, and yeah. this guy's like these, the government comes down, they just like they're in Wisconsin or something and they just send over, Grant sends over somebody to just be the judge, the governor and the policeman or whatever. And they're like, well, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to like, uh, get this land or whatever, and he goes, "Well, I have land to sell." And he says, "Oh, well, we're we're talking about issuing taxes." He goes, "Do you mean to tax me to get the money to buy my own land? Why don't you just steal it?" <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> but like all this stuff actually happened, but they're yeah. playing it out, hell on wheels. It it's I mean, if you pay attention to certain scenes and you're a dork like me on the Civil War and stuff and the Indian Wars and so on, you'll you'll know exactly what they're referencing and it's really good. That's right. Yeah, that's, and you, know, you brought the government in there. And that's when they start. They could get brutal with everybody, not have to negotiate. And that's I think it was was James J. Hill who built the Great Northern Railroad, who didn't have to kill anybody, at least reportedly, to build this railroad. It was done at a, at a profit. And it was rational. They, well, all of our railroads, canals, and roads w before 1865 were built by venture capitalists without a single tax dollar. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, eternal improvements, as the Whigs called it. And that's what Lincoln picked up. And, you know, and a lot of these things, uh, the, um, I mean, the uh, uh, the idea of, um, yeah, of using tax dollars to build these things. And it was always political because obviously where you put their railroads was going to shape how who's going to get rich and who didn't get rich i think it was um was it lincoln himself uh, right before signing the transcontinental railroad bill uh bought land out west where there's going to be the uh i guess the uh the, the meetup point for the, for the pacific started sherman yeah and so they all were <laughs> railroad guys <laughs> made money he was off a railroad lawyer yeah yeah and in in a in a, uh, in a psych psychopathic killer at the same time so 
Um, but back to uh, we were talking about RFK and you, you Chris. Carmine Galante yeah. was considered a psychopath in jail. Uh, these mob guys, man, I don't think people like. There's sort of this weird thing, like, ooh, the mafia is kind of cool or something. It's not cool. I mean, these are psychopathic killers that beat and torture and exploit people. I mean, they're terrible people. There's nothing cool or clever about it. It's not like they're at a big risk either because they're working with the government, not against them. So. Yeah, that's nothing. They're not being really. They're not being chased, hounded, hounded by the feds or anything. They're actually working with them. Um, but uh, you've um, you, you brought up the, the of course the, the Zionist Israeli angle here to this stuff. Uh, when, we, when we talked about the petrodollar, that sort of being a cover for this, you know, the all the Iraq wars and Middle I East. I mean, and the petrodollar things. is real, and there there is a that's why Saudi Arabia buys so many weapons with recycled petrodollars. Yeah. You know, because they sell oil all over the world, and they receive dollars, and they use those dollars to buy arms, mm-hmm. right? But it's overblown stuff to to say, well, that's why we went to Iraq. And especially to then say, oh, yeah, same thing Libya, same thing Syria. Nah, that ain't what connects them. It's Israel. Yeah, Yeah. it's also a big resource grab, too, because of Gaddafi's gold and these things. We've got that in WikiLeaks with Hillary Clinton talking about that. But um, Actually, I can debunk that, too. Oh, really? Okay, Okay, that's fine. Uh, I just read about that. But anyway, the um, – get back to RFK because – Okay, we have all this going on, and it, it, to get to get to the uh, uh, the answer to of why RFK was shot, we 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 went through the kind of and why the, they used the Palestinian patsy. Yeah, we have to go back to JFK, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so, do you want to kind of unravel that? Uh, we have the, you know RFK being killed in '68, but the uh, I think the suspicion is that he was taken out in '68 because he they figured he might reopen the investigation of his brother's murder if he became president. He would have a lot of the considerable power of all the office of the presidency holds to do that. So he had to be denied the White House. In and even if he had just become president and went after the mob like he had been doing, that was a big enough threat anyway. But uh, when he won the California primary, because you got to realize back then it wasn't like California was always Republican or always Democrat or whatever. I mean, it could now it's just it's just Democrat, right? Yeah. But it was kind of, you know, Nixon got it, you know, Reagan got it, you know, it was as possible. So when he won that, and that's the largest state, the writing was on the wall. I mean, he's a Kennedy. He was good looking. He had charm. He had, he was going to win. He was going to be president, most likely, you know. Nixon would lose to another Kennedy. <laughs> oh, he, he would lose his mind, you know, and he barely lost to John, you know, after all the cheating. Both of them cheated, but. <laughs> hey, hey, the Democrats he, cheated fair and square better, so they won it. They were bit, well. They all cheat, yeah. And they, they all did. cheat. And so. Kennedy's father helped helped make a deal with the mob. You know? <laughs> That's what well, I was They must feel really betrayed because they get in there, and then Bobby and Jack start prosecuting them. Of course, Bobby was never made privy to any of these backroom deals with the mob. You know, he actually hated them because they saw how they manipulated his father and ran him around in circles, and so he was on a path for revenge, and then got himself and his brother killed, but. The mob, the mob is not the uh, the Italian mafioso that you see on Hollywood. I mean, there are some like that, but that's not that wasn't the problem for the Kennedys. Is it the Quakers? It was a different group. <laughs> it wasn't the Quakers. It wasn't the Eskimo. Was, uh... <laughs> well, that's we get in this whole 
you hit names like Lansky and Brofman, you know, right? and, and you know, mm-hmm. Mo Dallas and these guys, and you get in the whole the whole thing of Zionism, how this is a huge, vast global criminal enterprise, you know, uh, that had you know that exerts so and much just power. like the CIA, you know, that other intelligence agencies also contract out to organized crime. I mean, yes. that's how we are with ISIS right now, right? Or Aral Al Sham for many years, or Jandala. A lot of these mercenary groups that you'll see in Syria or Iran or Yemen or, or uh, Boko Haram, etc., they're not independent little guerrilla organizations or something. They're getting tow missiles and money and things like that from states. Mm-hmm. And it's multinational. Syria is a great example because you'll see Turkey, the United States, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE all funneling in weapons, cash, and support to terrorist groups through different mediums, but they're all doing it. So it's not like they're just tied to the CIA or something. Yeah, was was it Viktor Ostrovsky? He says that Carlos the Jackal was a Mossad asset, if he used to be believed. Yeah, I believe it. Makes sense if you think about it, right? I mean... I believe that yeah. absolutely because the, he, the job of the Mossad is to keep Jews terrified as well, right? I mean, yeah, it's not like I don't want people to think there's some sort of Jewish teleology to become a mafia or you know a criminal banker or something like that. But there is a uh, there is a group that has an an ideology of Zionism which is tied to religion and other things that sees itself as this sort of ethnic unit uh, and does things for the interests of their clique and you'll see that with the Italian mob too and Irish gangs and stuff there is an ethnic component to it because they make it like that mm-hmm. we didn't do that they did it's just true um, there are black street gangs for example that doesn't mean the blacks are street gangs it means the street gangs are black you know it's the I don't want people to to put the cart before the horse, which unfortunately happens too much. A lot of people prosecuting these Jewish mobsters are Jewish, too. People say things like the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Right. They they don't say Japanese. Japanese. Yeah, Yeah, the Germans invaded Poland. So we we speak in these terms... Uh, because just for purposes of simply, we, gener- we have to generalize at some point in, in language, right? And there is so, definitely a Jewish yeah. mafia. Yeah, there is a Jewish mafia, and, and they identify as Jews, and they they organize as such. And so, mm-hmm. therefore, to talk about them, we, you know, in order to know your enemy, at least know that you're, and know they your have subjects. an affinity with Israel. Yes, and you can see these guys, Siegel and them, are taking profits and and helping to uh, prop up settlements and land grabs and annexation with Israel. I mean, mm-hmm. Lansky went to live over there. He retired to Israel. <laughs> so it is, yeah, it is something that they believe and it is part of their motivation and it's part of their support. And that that's kind of the reason that Jewish and Italian mafias grew so big post-World War II is the U.S. aligned itself with organized crime in Italy because that was a power rival to Mussolini. So as Mussolini was fascist, uh, he had actually butted out the former uh assholes which was the organized crime and the sicilians and so on and so you'll see things like uh you know liaisons between the united states and very prominent mafia figures doug valentine's gone all over this in uh, strength of the pack and uh very well-known figures and so they'll have state sponsorship back in the united states like lucky luciano and a lot of these guys that were very successful in new york still had ties to sicily 
or some part of Italy that where they are getting sponsorship uh, because these guys were governors, mayors. They were put in very prominent positions of power after World War II because they had fought against Mussolini. You see the same thing in Japan. Uh, a lot of the Yakuza groups, because they're so anti-Chinese and everything, and that became, you know, we had the Korean War and threats with China, etc., that they were allowed to take very prominent positions within the Reconstruction government in Japan because the U.S. wanted those uh, right-wing uh, lunatics, emperor worshippers, etc., because they would definitely go break up strikes and unions and stuff or any kind of leftist movement, which, you know, because of the fear of communism, they didn't even want anything. So they would have their strike busters and stuff, and the ones who were willing to do that were these uh, right-wing Japanese Yakuza mafia types. And so that's why you start seeing alliances between government and criminal organizations so the criminals can do the dirty work and there's plausible deniability and the israelis absolutely work with the american mafia they have a, a jewish mob in many countries and the, uh, there was a jewish mafia which maintained this uh very this uh very uh, important flow of arms to israel in right after world war ii with mo dalitz meyer lansky the pipeline that they uh, maintain. Well, Permadex was part of that, and it gets yeah. That's what I was getting. It gets the Permadex because Permadex factors into the into uh, both assassinations. Uh, so this uh, this I guess um, I guess in tribute to Michael Collins Piper, talk about the case regarding um, the Israeli uh, element to the um, to the. He's Kennedy, he's to, one that brought in Theodore Rosenbaum and yeah. those. I mean, Piper does a little chalkboard video going over it. And if you dig into that, you'll know exactly why JFK was killed and who did it. I mean, he was he, Piper was on to it, and I'm in the middle of making a movie about it. So that's even RFK. I'm kind of saying, oh, I don't know or I can't remember, but it's really I just don't want to say because I'm trying to sell a film. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I don't want to that, or it's like oh, that'll take an hour to explain, so I'll just skip it or something. But I. In a show that's limited in time like this, I just want to. I'm trying to package it to say, look, we have a guy, witness firing his gun, who's right behind Senator Kennedy, who lied about when he sold it. He works for a security company run by a bank from John Alessio, who also got him out of trouble, and then all the lawyers and mafia. I think that's enough information to be like, okay, the mafia killed him. If you want to get into why, it's not just because he was prosecuting himself. If you want to get into why specifically. It does tie into geopolitics, and of course, it goes back to Israel. But that takes some explaining, mm -hmm. and it, and not like an hour show. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. And I know I clearly can see the direction you're going, tying it into John and getting that back with that. Because if you want to get into like James Jesus Angleton and the Dulles brothers, who are all hardcore Zionists, I mean, they've got Angleton's got a forest named after him in Israel and plaques and so on. They, I mean, they were essentially Israeli agents working in the United States government anyway. I mean, that, look at the oldest operations with Operation Ajax and uh, and the attempted uh, Operation Susanna and stuff. The oldest things, first things the CIA ever did were all on behalf of Israel. And the counterintelligence czar was Angleton, a Jewish partisan that had a deep affinity with Israel. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's books about Angleton. And, it, I, and if you read any of them, the, the ghost is a great one. Uh, yeah, it'll become real clear real fast. 
and because <laughs> the, the, the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy occurred uh, what, almost a year right after the Liberty incident, right? Yep, it was exact. It was actually he was killed on the anniversary of the Six Day War. Yeah, by a Palestinian. Ain't that something? So <laughs> coincidence, I guess. <laughs> Wait till after midnight so it can be on the anniversary. Yeah. Hmm. No, I mean. They, yeah, the Liberty, I'm sure everyone knows the Liberty, but if they don't, you know, that's, do you want that Palestinian medic, that 20 year old, 21 year old medic that got shot and killed by Israeli snipers, I sarcastically tweeted out that, uh, yeah, she's clearly wearing a uniform that says medic and is helping somebody else who had been shot. That part of the story gets left out, but, but maybe they thought she was an Egyptian ship. <laughs> And they, 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 what, three waves of attacks. They shot her three separate times. <laughs> you know, one, yeah, one of the pilots um, later refused to bomb Gaza, and they reprimanded him for it. <laughs> it's, uh, this is Yousef something? I have to look that up. For real, I don't know that one. But um, The Liberty stuff is stuff I've talked about yes. so many times. I wish I just had a button to push to go... You know, well, I'm, I mean, you know, Lyndon Johnson yeah. stopping it. You know, I don't care if the, if that damn ship sinks. We're not going to uh, you know, embarrass uh, an ally. Of course, I'm Lyndon Johnson's ally, aunt was the found one of the founders of the Zionist American Council, which Kennedy was trying to register as a foreign agent, which they call APAC mm-hmm. today. And he was the last person to do it. And Robert Kennedy wrote him letters, and because he was the head of the the, the DOJ under John's presidency. And they had to get rid of them. I mean, they were inspecting nukes at Demona. They were, I mean, they supported the Palestinian right of return. And we're talking numbers, 100,000 they wanted back in Israel, which the Israelis, they, you know, being ardent racists that want an ethnic demographic majority, they didn't want Palestinians to live, you know, in their own homes. So they wanted them out. But the Kennedys were. Supporting right of return, supporting you know, looking into the nuclear weapons and yeah, uh, Ben Gurion resigned over it. It was that important, you know, trying to stall for time. They had to get rid of John, and had to. Yeah, the connection, of course, to the assassination, of course, was uh, I guess help ex- was uh, exposed by Garrison's investigation. I guess he was originally going after David Fair, but David Fair conveniently died, and then he, he he focused on Clay Shaw. Clay Shaw worked for Permadex, which traces traces back to. Uh, Tibor Rosenbaum and this uh, credit bank international in Switzerland, which traces back to the Brothmans because they launder money for the Brothmans. And we were talking well, it earlier. also traces into Charlie Winters and all these yeah. arms smugglers that were bringing in, and even the Numex scandal. I mean, yeah. that ties all straight into that Rosenbaum and the rest of them. Which Grant Smith were working covers. with Alvin Shapiro yeah. and the rest yeah. of them. Yeah, Grant Smith got well. He doesn't get into the Kennedy stuff, although I I no, have talked stuff, to him personally, yeah. and he held, he knows he's red pilled, but. <laughs> Those books are strictly on the uh, diversion of nuclear material and focus on like Raphael Adenton and you know Zalman Shapiro and the people directly yeah, this, involved. Yeah, n- this nuclear program is very interesting because you have this sort of this huge weapons, you know, this espionage operation being carried out, and the government just seems helpless to stop it or really investigate it rigorously. But it's out there; the information is there. But uh, in regards to the Kennedy assassination, JFK's killing, um, you've talked about. So we talked about this is the. Um, you know the movie JFK by Oliver Stone, which names this sort of this vague military-industrial complex as the perpetrator. Blame it all on gay Nazis. 
Nazis. But um, they made of course, them all homosexual, and they, the, it, pr- the producer for that film. The funny thing was, is, who's the producer? They kind of blame the CIA in that, like, oh, he didn't give us air support for Bay of Pigs, so yeah. we're mad, we're going to kill him. Then he fires uh, Cord Meyer, and he fired Dulles, but. Um, that's kind of the classic JFK conspiracy theory, kosher and everything. But <laughs> not only did they not talk about the mafia, the only line they give about the mafia is him saying, you think the mafia could cover up blah, 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 and uh, totally dismissing any mob connection. And the whole thing is written, or was the executive producer is Arnon Milchan, yeah. who is the, <laughs> Israel's largest arms dealer. Legal and illegal. And by, by, I mean, by arms deal, you mean he's in, engaged in, in espionage against the United States, people of the United States, by engaging in illegal arms shipments. Didn't he do that, like the triggers or something? To, and he got a medal for it? Yeah, the Krytron triggers, actually, they smuggled to this company called Heli Trading Company. And on the, on the uh, other side was a little dude named Benjamin Netanyahu. A furniture salesman, right? Uh-huh. Like star <laughs> like star furniture in uh with uh Lorex. What's his name? Yellow <laughs> Lorex. In Louisiana. That's right, yeah, yeah. That was a front for a heroin smuggling yeah. operation, if anybody doesn't know. But they uh yeah, he was smuggling Krytron triggers which are using in nuclear weapons. And Benjamin Netanyahu and Arnan Milchen were are involved in this and that came out because of a lawsuit for, by Airmap. But um it's hard to get the, it's, it's really hard to disseminate this information because I mean we're still at a point where you got to tell Americans that the West Bank is under occupation and that they build Jewish only cities called settlements where only Jews are allowed to live. Ryan, I'm constantly and, reminded that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East and there are allies. <laughs> Last time I checked, everybody around them has a democracy except for Saudi Arabia and Jordan. <laughs> Oh, oh, details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lebanon, what? They have a parliament? What? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Israel I mean, is a theocracy. It's a fascist theocracy, is what it is. More like, so, oh, well, yeah. we let some Arabs in the Knesset. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Token Arabs. How very progressive of you. <laughs> it's nice of you. Uh, and I guess it's begun more so as the settlers have come to Israel. It's, the politics has become more radical, especially with Likud. And of course, Likud stems from. Doesn't Likud like ultimately come like the Stern gang? Or uh, it goes back to Ergun. And Ergun, Stern. yeah, yeah. And aren't and they the, the ones Hakan. that threatened to kill Harry, Harry Truman? <laughs> well, I don't, have you ever have you seen the film I did on the SS Patria? Yeah, I mean they, they were killing ship, yeah. other Jews so that they couldn't leave Palestine. And the guys from the Jewish agency, which becomes the first government of Israel, that are involved in Haganah, Stern, Ergun, that are chopping off heads, throwing grenades through windows, blowing up trains, blowing up boats, blowing up hotels, blew up an embassy, total terrorists, right? The first hijacked airliners, all that are all Jewish terrorists. Um, These people are people like Ben-Gurion. You know, people like Menachem Begin, people that go on to become prime ministers of Israel, were all in these terrorist gangs in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. So it's not a few bad apples; it's the it's a few good apples, and the rest are rotten to the core. Well, Einstein, how, how, how else do you create a state, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> well, states are always through terrorism. The difference yeah, is yeah, up yeah. to college it. 
no, the U.S. doesn't deny they genocided Indians or anything. They, but Israel still tries to act like they're innocent and didn't do. They do nothing wrong. You know? Well, you have to go see uh, the movie Exodus to set your story straight about. Oh, know. my gosh. <laughs> that was one of the votes. Paul Newman and Kirk Douglas. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll... I ever need to puke. Oh. <laughs> now, now you, you you're uh, you're you're kind of alluding to this, but you have a, a, a you have a documentary about Israeli the first terrorist state, right? Or what's, yeah, what's it's the called the Jewish State in scare quotes because mm -hmm. I don't consider it a Jewish state, but that's what they call themselves. It's called the Jewish State: How Terrorists Form a Nation, and it's only like four dollars because I kind of want everyone to see it. But I made it with another guy, and I got to pay him too. Mm -hmm. So, but um, yeah, it's on Vimeo on demand, and it's a short little thing. And once we reach a certain benchmark, we're going to make part two, because I didn't even get into Levon or Liberty or any of that. I'm still in the 30s, because people like, even if they start the story at 48, I go, no, 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 what, what? Let's go all the way. I'm, you don't have to go to World War One or anything, but. I wanted to go over all these terrorist attacks that happened before Israel was Israel. Like while it was still Palestine, the way they became Israel was through constant terrorist attacks, killing British sailors, killing Palestinians, killing non-Zionist Jews, uh, things like Deir Yassin where they, they just murdered 250 people and kept a few of them alive to put in cages to parade around Jerusalem as trophies. Like, it was utterly disgusting. And a lot of prominent Jews, like I mentioned, Albert Einstein, were writing about and being disgusted by this. But uh, it just fell on deaf ears, I suppose, because they created the state anyway, and these terrorists end up electing each other, and it's never stopped. There, I mean, Sharon was a terrorist. They're all the only uh, prime minister that was ever actually born in Israel was Netanyahu. All the rest of them migrated there from Poland or wherever. Mm -hmm. And Netanyahu really was went to school in Pennsylvania, and he's American, you know. But yeah, it's a it's a terrorist state. So it's called the Jewish State. How terrorists formed a nation, and that's up on Vimeo on demand. And there's a trailer for it on YouTube. Just about it starts off with the Patria bombing, because. I, I want that to be a household thing like the Liberty because 55 British sailors were murdered and over 200 Jews were killed. And uh, I feel like it's per, it's kind of an unknown incident. And it just that's just one. you know. And I'm, I'm walking from that attack up to the Liberty. And I think a lot of people's jaws hit the floor and go, oh, my gosh, how many boats did they blow up? And how many like because this is continuous. And I say, how come you never heard of this if you haven't, which is, I think, the majority of people. Even people who are interested in the Israel-Palestine issue will learn stuff from this film. Because they're like, whoa, I didn't know that happened. Oh, yep. Yeah, that's that's what went down. And so I think a timeline for the beginning of how that state was made is desperately needed. So I went in and did that. But really, that if we once we do part two – it's going to lead right up to the Kennedys because they're the ones that tried to put a stop to all of it and both of them end up dead. And policy vis-a-vis -vis Israel changes right after 
as well. Exactly. Like the people were like, "Oh, it's Vietnam," or "Oh, it's Cuba," or because Bay of Pigs, like I was saying, the Oliver Stone thing. I was like, "Did we reinvade Cuba? No. Did we like did Johnson overturn the Executive Order eleven eleven zero? No. Did John like what did Johnson change? He kept the all the policies are basically the same. We're still in Vietnam. We're still in all. He changed the Middle Eastern policy. Total 180. That was his focus. The first thing he did on the first day in office was dealing with Israel. And the even, first thing Nixon said, too. Nixon, the first thing he wanted to know is, how much do we know about Israel and Demona? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And he's the one that started nickel grass. And, uh, you know, it was just consecutive Israeli presidents. And the Vietnam was War. Johnson, but he the mob had him by the short hairs. In the Vietnam War, one thing it did do is it did obscure, at least distract from, um, you know, things like the Six Day War and what was going on, what the Israelis were doing in the Six Day War. had moved their heroin base of operations to Laos, right? Mm-hmm. And Shackley's a, a station chief in Miami and, and deeply involved in the JFK assassination. Yeah. He's a CIA guy. But um, they went, because when they're, as Europe gets, you know, rebuilt, uh, you have a, sh- a limited amount of time when countries have been blown apart where prostitution, narcotics, etc. are going to be thriving businesses because that's how people get on their feet. You know, if you're starving and you're a woman and sell your body or whatever, you're a man and you either rob of something or you sell drugs. And so there's a lucrative business, but as Europe gets back on its feet and that French connection, the heroin, it, you know, there are two main places, the Golden Triangle and the Golden Crescent, to actually grow opium. And they said, cut out these middlemen. We're getting it from the source. And they went straight to Laos. And you can see the CIA uh, buying up property in Vietnam and Cambodia, Laos area in the 50s, right? Long before the war war gets going, before the French are thrown out. The CIA already started buying. The first thing they always get is property, right? So they get got their assets to have base operations and Shackley and them had moved over there and were using the narcotics money and you could see them they, I mean it's it's the same old story song and dance right but yeah this is what Lucian Conan and Danny Ellsberg were doing right <laughs> yes <laughs> and <laughs> then he produces the Pentagon papers which puts all the blame on the Pentagon right for the war not CIA it's always like an official, um, I don't know what to call it, misinformation. Like, oh, there's my scapegoat. They don't see the Israeli hand in these things and how much of this money is going to prop up their terrorist state, illegal weapons and arms purchases and stuff, which they use from narcotics trade. Even in modern times, you're talking about like $80 million worth of ecstasy trade to the United States, which was being used for um, to pay for cyber warfare and... Uh, illegal arms sales, etc. And but when the Israelis get caught spying on the United States or stealing from the United States, nothing really happens. I mean, Pollard went to jail and then got released, but uh, because he did so much damage to the United States that that I mean, we're not that cucked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his handlers and stuff. I mean, even on nine eleven, you see people just get released. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows. I mean, look at these this infamous dancing Israelis. They've got uh, passports and 
plane tickets to immediately leave the country to go to places like India and Australia and Germany. I'm like, wait a minute. So these are some minimum wage or maybe slightly more workers for a furniture company that moves furniture and they're going to take vacations to India and Australia, <laughs> things, places like that yeah, yeah. on their salary. And they all decided to leave on the same day. And it's just some random Tuesday in September. It's not like for Christmas or the summer or something. It's like, oh, let's just pick a random Tuesday in September. And lo and behold, that's the exact same day your boss closes his business and flees to Israel. <laughs> and he's on the FBI suspect list for 9-11. And you happen to be celebrating the attacks. like, And said, oh, we just thought it was an airplane crash. What kind of normal person sees a plane fly into a building so you know all those people on the plane are dead and the people that were on those floors are dead and you're like awesome and you start flicking lighters and high fiing this is adults too not like a kid that saw that and you just start hugging each other and, and taking pictures of yourself with it the fire in the background because you just think it's so cool that you saw a, a people die in a plane crash and then you stick around and wait for a second one right like because you know that's coming their story is so damn ridiculous, and and they just got let out of jail, you know. So it's like, uh, you know. Well, I think at the time wasn't Chertoff, Michael Chertoff, dual citizen Chertoff. Uh, didn't he spearhead well, the investigation of that? Instrumental in it, but um, it's not just Chertoff. They were just Israel had such a grip on the United States yeah. that they were let him go because they had to because the United States was it wasn't like Israel did that all by themselves. That whole Safari Club click, the U.S., yeah, Saudis, yeah, yeah. Israel working together to make it's, sure 9 11 happened the way it did. So it's, it's, they had it's a, a consortium, yeah. I mean, that's what when you sort of heard uh, Richard Pearl and Mark Grossman and um, talk, and I think it was uh, Wolf or someone of those, but they're Grossman and Pearl were overheard talking, saying, talking about FBI 9 11 suspects, and they're saying, we got to get them out of the country before they spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. And all of this is known. I've put it all out, and it just it gets lost in the ether of stupid because it's kind of like the Kennedy stuff where they'll blame the Federal Reserve or something. Or in 9-11, there are people who don't even believe in airplanes. and It's just like beating your head on the wall because you get put into like a camp and it's just sort of considered on the same level as the people talking about holograms or mm -hmm. nukes or whatever, you know. And uh, and we got them dead to rights. Well, weren't the alleged hijackers also being shadowed by Israeli? Yes, and yeah. that's what's so funny is like Yaron Schmel, who's one of the three that was seen dancing around and flicking lighters and things and celebrating and then who got arrested later in the urban movie system van. He's, um, he lived in Florida when Atta lived in Florida. When Atta went to Brooklyn, so did he. I mean, and they're like three houses down. I mean, they were literally right next door to Atta and following him around and making sure the local authorities didn't, weren't tipped off on anything. And, and that was the B team because if you look at these dancing Israelis, they're not the Mossad. There were two two of them. The older one, uh, Paul Kersberg, and his brother were already on the counterintelligence database, but they are in their twenties. So these aren't seasoned Mossad yeah. agents, something that are going to be in you know the top tier to be working on nine eleven. 
which is why they're like the C team, right? They're there to move things in and out of the building, keep your mouth shut, whatever. Not a lot of responsibility. And most of them, you know, behave. But these idiots just couldn't help it. They had a huge party on September 10th because some of the people from White Glove Movers were all at the uh, Sivan Kersberg's uh, apartment. And they had this huge party. And they go there early and ready to watch it, film it, and celebrate. And it was so stupid to go to Doric Towers because other people who lived there just looked out the window and saw what they were doing. <laughs> well, they saw Middle Eastern men celebrating. <laughs> oh, well, she just said men, I think, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, there was a couple that lived in Doric Towers who moved out on September 10th and utilized one of these companies to do it. Um, they had maps with that i mean come on there's so much evidence and that's i made a film called empire and mass that mm -hmm. i know you've seen that just goes over it in overkill but sometimes when i'm talking about 9-11 people are like what like they had not heard of some of the most basic stuff because they get lost in jonestown you know and they don't they don't know real simple things like same thing with rfk a lot of people have heard, oh, 13 shots with an eight-shot gun, or but they didn't really bother to look and see who Sirhan's lawyers were. They yeah. didn't look to bother and see, you know, who hired a security. And to me, that's like the first thing you should do is follow the money, and you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's sort of a meticulous, disciplined forensic analysis of the evidence. Even financial evidence will will tell you what's going on more than all the evidence yeah. points to that i mean the medical examiners the coroner there's burn marks on robert's head yeah. there's witnesses that saw someone fire a gun behind him we know who that someone was they're all tied to the mob da 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 da, da. it all fits one story they're they all agree the police the forensic evidence yes we have more than eight bullets like that is a fact we have acoustic evidence where you can hear more than eight shots being fired. So even though they tore that kitchen apart because it no longer exists and they got rid of the files, there were some pictures from the police, you know, looking at the bullets and things that still exist. Uh, a lot of those policemen were still alive after the fact and will mm -hmm. tell you, yes, I saw the bullet holes and so on. So they can't cover it up completely, not in the age of the Internet. The only way they can cover it up is to put out a bunch of ridiculous stories so that when you try to find the information you get stuck in the rabbit hole of disinformation well it's it, you have gray black and white propaganda right exactly and it's hard and i again it's hard with people looking into this stuff and it's hard not to be passionate about this stuff and you there is evidence uh, there is other evidence of media manipulation you know like whether it's fakery or a good example was it was it fox news on 9-11 ran a file video of palestinians celebrating and said they were celebrating the 9-11 attacks that is so malicious right. that is and it's so like, malicious really, it shouldn't be daytime there right now but whatever <laughs> they um and they're giving peace signs, right? Because people gave them cake and stuff. Yeah. And everybody knows if you hold up two fingers, it's a peace sign. Yeah. But Fox, they were like, they're doing the V for victory sign. <laughs> what are you talking about? It hasn't been the V for victory sign in many decades. But what know? that means is someone had to tell an intern to go get that file video, put it in the machine, and let's run it. It's not and accidental. Say, talk about dancing Palestinians. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just... 
Yeah, something like that. So, and know. a lot of people turned on Palestine and lost sympathy for Palestine because a Palestinian had killed Robert Kennedy, mm-hmm. and was motivated by those politics, even though he wasn't. And this Sirhan is a weird dude. I mean, the, you know, you go through his notebooks and the things he's written, and he's writing about Frank in there and saying, asking him to pay him, Donna Ramos, Donna, Donna Rama, please give me plea, plea five. That's I'm not stuttering. That's actually what he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's found with uh, I think four one hundred dollar bills on his person, which you don't walk around with hundred dollar bills in '68. You know, not most people. No. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, you look at where he works. You look at who hired him. You look at who represented him. I mean, he's just got mob in every single direction. And they're talking about doing a contract killing. Like all this comes out, and they have files that the California records just won't release. Why? Which makes you wonder, well, how in charge is the mafia today in these areas of California politics? Because at some point, you think there'd be somebody to get in there and look at it and go, wow, we have all this information on the these criminal syndicates that did a contract killing on RFK. And lo and behold, it traces back up to the Israelis and so on and so on. That hasn't happened. Well, I mean, if you look at the power structure of, of Hollywood in California, people like Lou Wasserman and Jules Steins, they're all mobsters, and they all became you know, kingmakers, Ronald Reagan. And... Yeah, the Hollywood mafia is not Italian either. No, <laughs> it's not. You know, so this is going to be controlled. And, and at the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a, uh, what is it called, a, you know, it's a company town, right? And they're going to protect a lot uh-huh. of these things, and they're going to protect, you know, they have their interest, and... We all know how Hollywood Morgul, moguls that I mean, they with destroyed history. the hotel. Well, and they and built get Robert rid of the physical evidence, you know. And they built Robert F. Kennedy High School. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it's um, it really it's something else. It's yeah, it's um, again, it's uh, just look at the evidence, and obviously, what we have a situation where the official story is ludicrous, and then we're stuck with you know, what really happened. And I think at your work, he's holding Thane's tie in his hand on the ground. Yeah, like last thing he could do before. I mean, he got shot through the brain. So, but the last thing he did was yank that tie off of him. That's how close he was to him. Mm-hmm. And he's got burn marks on his head. Hmm. <laughs> Sirhan was never that close to him, and was not behind him. Right. No witnesses placed him closer than two feet. Yeah. And there were shots. John Pilger. He's from Australia, right? But he's lived in the UK a long time. Phenomenal journalist was there. And he's next to Sirhan. One of the people who got grazed by a bullet was right next to John. So unless Sirhan's just like firing backwards or something, mm-hmm. there shouldn't be bullets going that direction. But someone had fired, and probably the one that went through Kennedy's coat is what that the one that hit that person. I mean, but now like you can only go off the few pictures that exist of that kitchen area because you can't visit it or anything. Yeah. And uh you heard the story about Scott Enyart, the photographer? Uh, no, what's that? High school kid I was there filming the uh, the day. He was, you know, 15, 16 years old. And the young guy supported Kennedy. Uh, and he was there as a photographer. He was just back in the kitchen shooting, you know, one picture after another, as a lot of photographers do. So we're getting the whole, in hopes of getting a good shot when you, when you shoot so many photographs. He was there uh, standing up on a table I think to get a good view of it, shooting these pictures, and of course the assassination occurs, 
and the police uh, seized this camera. I mean, before they went after, before they they questioned uh, Caesar, they immediately went went for the camera and they seized the tape. But the the film was evidence, and never released the film, and was never submitted as evidence. And then years later, uh, in the '80s, he sues to get it because he realizes it's worth a lot of money. This is the '80s. There's a lawsuit, and the police claim that they don't have it. <clears throat> it turns out, in the terms of in the process of the trial, the, the the lawsuit, they had to turn it over, and they submitted to having it. And they were about to turn over the, the film, and the courier—it was like a PI or hired as a courier—to pick up the film, gets a flat tire on his way to deliver the film to Scott Enyard, uh, and that's when uh, the briefcase with the film in it gets stolen. <laughs> that is the the, the, the the that is a the snake ate it story. Yes, and remember that he would have had multiple photographs. And it, mm-hmm. Showing us, you know, almost like maybe 50, 60 photographs, almost like shot, 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 showing us what's happening. It's definitely a cover-up. And so, I, I mean, I, I, when I heard that story, and the guy, Scott Enyart, won the case, and he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, I've talked to a couple of people who actually know him, says he just wanted to drop it. Maybe he was threatened or something. But I'm um, sure someone talked to him. Yeah, and, you know, the film's lost, so what, what are you, you going to die for? Nothing? Because, yeah, you know, I, I think he wants the film to be worth something. And with the case being closed, the, the police can never claim it as evidence, so it's his property. I'll tell you something. I've been talked to after I did that Eddie Bravo show. I got talked to. And that's why I just – I will not even say some things about certain people in New York because I – like I said, I want to be able to travel there and stuff and – it's not worth it to me. Yeah. Like, I'll talk about the people who are dead already, and I'll I'll give you the mystery, and I'll talk, I'll tell you about Fane and all that, but there's a certain point where I'm just going to, you know, take the fifth. Yeah. And so I understand why a lot of people, you know, involved in that did, you know, didn't say anything or couldn't come forward because they don't want anything to happen to their family themselves. Yeah. And that's how these mafia work. They will fucking kill you. Like, uh, it's a, this is a very serious topic, and I can talk about it because of where I live. But that I'm not immune. They'll come out here. Yeah. <laughs> they can do stuff. There's other things they can do. So you got to be real careful when you're talking about the mob. Now you can talk about the mob in the 30s and 40s or whatever. Like that's it's pretty much been done. And I'm glad people do it, but. Tread lightly. If you're going to go after current things, uh, you know, be careful. Yes. Because they they are very serious. The government, too. And I'll talk about 9-11 to a point. But, you know, ultimately, I'll, like, basically lead you to water as they now, you know, figure it out from there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just, uh, you know, ignore it all and pretend that... Everything's okay. <laughs> they murdered the Kennedys. It's and I'm not one of these people that romanticizes the Kennedys as Camelot or anything, but they were going after Israel and that got him killed. Yeah, and that's it's a, you could see it as sort of a a fight within the the ruling elite, the the governing faction. And we we, we talk about who really runs the world and you know, the global elite and. The political class, and you have to. There's, there's, there's going to be conflicts and disagreements within this faction, and it's not going to be monolithic. And perhaps the, uh, you know, well, the, the Arabs run Hollywood. <laughs> Alex Jones told us that. You know, it's like oh, you know, the Seven Alger- of the last eight Federal Reserve chairmen have been Arab. Yeah, yeah. 
know. Is that you ever heard the story like like McCarthyism got its start by Jagger Hoover who wanted to embarrass the uh, the Pentagon and the newly formed CIA because he saw it as a um, as a threat to his to his power domestic powers. And so Hoover was a hardcore racist mm-hmm. as well, and uh, and he was one of these liberal racists where he thought like segregation was good for both people and like rationalizing it and mm-hmm. things like that. So. And he had deep connections to some of these birchers and all that and the Klan and everything. And uh, he helped cover up the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uber. Yeah. So, well, Ryan, I want to thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, do you want to pitch? Uh, you're, you're working on this film. Do you want, do you want to pitch it something? Yeah, I'm sorry I kind of pumped the brakes at a bunch of points, but yeah, kind of want to... I don't know. I wanted to present something to just kind of give you, give the audience the gist of it, and say, mm-hmm. well, here, here's all you really need to know, like, without getting drowned in details, because people criticize me saying you talk too many tangents, and so I tried to do it better, <laughs> but I don't. It's not my style. I like going on the tangents and details, but Wait. but I his, will be his, making a history is one it. long tangent. So. <laughs> it is. It's like well, that like it's it's hard to. When you're talking about the mob and you're talking about all these syndicates and you're like, well, this guy, is, I could have gone, we could have talked about a lot of other players, you know, but it's hard. It's hard to do interviews on this stuff because if I'm talking to you or Doug or someone like that, we can just go, oh, you know, SEO, right? And da, 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 da. But then I'm trying to think, no, people don't know that. It's not common knowledge. So I have to name the bank, name the thing and... So I'm sorry if some of you, I don't know. I want to bring new people in, and at the other, on the other part of me is like, I just want to like run with it with people who are already seasoned on on mafia knowledge or yeah. whatever. But yeah, sometimes you can focus on a person. Like a, a good example of how the system works is it was Clark Clifford, the man who wrote the National Security Act, which created the CIA, uh, and later on he gets caught up in BCCI. He's in the Empire at Mast. <laughs> yeah, right. And a figure like that kind of shows you how it all kind of works. Because he's part of the elite. He, you know, he's legit, right? He's considered legit. This power broker, and, you know, the Truman advisor and these things. Who I think he's the one that convinced Truman to uh, recognize Israel. But at the same time, he, he writes the National Security Act, which formalizes the sort of ancestral relationship between big corporation organized crime and these things into like an intelligence agency uh prior to that Mm -hmm. it was sort of informal and at the same time years later he's exposed uh with the bccci scandal which another is a focusing on on that bank to kind of tells you how how this all works and that's one they just went from that back to Riggs. yeah the Riggs bank and traditional cia bank but i hope people will look into uh carmine galante Mm -hmm. uh look into Frank Dadaramas, it's D-O-N-N-E-R-O-U-M-M-A-S. It's a really messed up last name. But then, of course, there's John Alessio, Grant Cooper. Um, we'll skip Johnny Roselli. Uh, and then also Russell Parsons. Because if you look into those individuals, those are the that's the most immediate ring around Sirhan Sirhan, for example. And I think that will give you a lot of meat and potatoes on... Eugene Caesar and what happened to RFK. As for you know what's really all behind it, that takes some time to to parse out. But if you just want to know what happened without the why, well, Thane shot him in the head. That's what happened. 
That's a bumper sticker. Thane shot him. <laughs> Thane did it, man. Thane, Thane did shot it. first. Whatever. <laughs> Who cares about Han Solo? Like, people are shocked to be like, whoa, you just gave me the name of the shooter of RFK. I'm like, I can tell you who shot JFK too, but you won't know who that, that is, you know, like without the background and stuff. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. Wasn't it the driver? No. <laughs> it wasn't Jackie? <laughs> no. There are pe- I get that joke because there are yeah, people I, saying things like that. Oh, William Greer did it. Yeah, like Jackie is gonna uh, shoot her husband in the middle of a parade in front of everyone. Like she, like she'd never have any opportunity to poison his food or shoot him. In a, you know, like oh, let's just do it in the middle of a parade. Actually, and uh, I think it, and drive him to the hospital. He was killed because in Pillow Talk with Marilyn Monroe, JFK revealed the existence of aliens, right? <laughs> you know what? Mickey Cohen was involved in Monroe's death. That's interesting. Yes, that's a whole, yeah, that's yeah. That's another show. But um, yeah. I think people might find that interesting because there is a Monroe-Kennedy connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was banging her. And uh, so much better taste than <laughs> some of our current, than, than like Lewinsky or something. Although if Trump banged Karen McDougal, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll give you that one. You know, <laughs> he's third wife is nice, but anyway, it's uh, Cohen Monroe. That there's, I, we should just talk about the mafia in Hollywood, like Hollywood's beginnings. We actually because next time I like to talk. There's to you about a bunch that. of stories yeah. that I feel like are in my head that I just don't have the energy to go just to get to the point I'm on. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. So that is something I think that people might be interested in, because especially after Weinstein and all this, I'm just thinking, oh, that's that's just part of the how it's always been, you know. So and yeah, this whole Chicago versus New York with uh, L.A. and Vegas, right? Yeah, that's it's the um, uh, two books on that. Was there's uh, what the Supermob by Gus Russo, which is pretty good by Korshak, Sidney Korshak, and. Uh, uh, the Chicago uh, Jewish Mafia going out the you know, from Oakdale, Chicago, and going out to California and sort of playing the role as middlemen uh, and the uh, becoming powerful in their own right with Lou Wasserman and Jules Stein. And then there's also what's that book by Decker, Sally Decker, and who's the other journalist about uh, the the power and the money about Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Very good. There's book. Christian and Turner. There's uh, David Shem too. Did there's lots of good books on the Kennedys or on the Mafia. Uh, there's not a lot of good films online or whatever. I've seen films that said there were like 11 shots at Daily Plaza and, you know, just cr- one from the sewer and just mm-hmm. retarded stuff. And uh, that's why, I mean, that's what drove me to make 9-11 films and why I'm going to do a RFK and JFK film. Because really, it really takes a movie. There's so many names and stuff to remember, and it's it's just hard without the visuals. But once you put it all together, it's done. And I I need to make enough off it so I can stay in Asia. <laughs> okay. okay. Once so, George Bush Senior dies, which should be soon, I'll feel a little safer. <laughs> He's pinching. It really goes the all the way to the top, just like Jack Ruby said. Yeah. The yeah. man at the top, which was LBJ at the time. And he was like, can you take me to D.C.? Because he knew the Dallas police were compromised. Yeah. Bill Decker and the rest of it. Can you take me there? I'm, afra- I'm afraid if what happens, my people 
Like he was afraid of the reaction that was going to happen to his people, his people meaning Jewish people, if uh, the truth were known. Dang. What you saying there, Jackie? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I had to do it, you know. I had because uh, to save my people. Because Oswald would have told it. Would I talked to Oswald's uh, handler's son from the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence. He lives on the Outer Banks. Really? And had a lot of stuff to say. Mm-hmm. That's exclusive stuff. That's all in the film. Yep. Well, uh, so this is, I'm sorry, this is That's your film. That's his one phone call, right? That's who he calls. He calls Oni. And, now, Doesn't this is... call a lawyer or anything. He calls the government. <laughs> the government, yeah. <laughs> now, this is your film on, on um, uh, your upcoming film? Yeah, so I, I have a Patreon, and I'm like $400 away from my goal. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting really excited. I'm getting back into the my Kennedy mood because I already wrote all these notebooks worth of stuff, and I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to go to Daily Plaza or anything like that. I'm not going to be able to afford it. But um, it looks like I'm I really can. So I'd love to finish these. It's going to be two films, an RFK film and a JFK film, and I will be talking about both of them in both films. But I thought it'd be better to divide it. Yeah. Empire and Mass. Some people love the five-hour stuff. Some people are like, don't do that again. <laughs> it took me three days to watch it. I'm like, it's a complicated topic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It took me three days to learn about how the world works. Really? <laughs> I mean, well, otherwise you'd have to watch like ten little films on it. So I don't know. That's my argument. But I am going to break it up into two films. And um, for my sake, the RFK one is just easier and more doable and quick, and I'll get it out. But JFK is going to be the coup de grace, and uh, and then after that, I don't know. I've been asked. I may make a film about Afghanistan, I think. But I'm really close, and it's taken so many years. I was stuck on Patreon for a long time, and just recently, we're it's just it's only within hundreds of dollars away. And I'm thinking, man, maybe it could be this summer. Who, it, maybe not, but I'm hoping so. And uh, then I can just get on the visuals right away. I'm I'm down for it. I have so much information and organization. I've written it out on paper, exactly how to explain it and stuff. It's just way easier than just randomly asking answering things. I wrote out what I think is is a very good way to present it. Sort of debunking some of the common things first, and then sliding into what went down. And yeah, it's gonna be who killed the Kennedys. Real awesome title, right? <laughs> who killed? <laughs> this is who killed the Kennedys. They all call it. Well, it's, it's to the point. No confusion yeah. there. So, okay, Ryan. Well, thanks a lot. That's Ryan Dawson of the ANC Report. Uh, that's ancreport.com, right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. That's his website and follow his work.